Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. This interview with Nikki Veenvleet. It's quite a journey from ending up in the army and being really quite good at something that perhaps she hadn't considered earlier in her life, uh, experiencing postnatal depression and coming out the other side of that. And then more recently going through a separation and all of the different grief that comes to the surface through that process as well. Sometimes you, when I have these interviews, I connect with people and, and we have a similar journey and, and we just click. And this is a, I really enjoyed this conversation because there were so many similarities to, to ourselves and the, the journey and, and how we show up in the world. So I enjoyed it. I really hope you do too. Uh, heaps of wisdom and, and a lot of fun here this, with this one with Nikki. Hey, everyone, and welcome this week's guest, Nikki Veenvliet. How are you, Nikki? I'm so well. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. I can tell by the uh, conversation beforehand it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. You've got a few different big moments in your life, mm-hmm. and I want to unpack all three, but the one I'm most curious about just personally is – is you joined the army in 1999. Now, I've yeah. spoken to a, a number of people, not heaps, but I'd say between five and ten that have joined the army, and it's usually been on the back of an event or just something that was going on in their life that, that had them heading that direction. So mm. was that the case for you? And if so, what was that? Yeah, it kind of was actually. So I was just telling someone this story the other day. I grew up as a very non-competitive child and very, um, you know, the accommodator and like if you were in a running race with me, I'd wait for you to catch up, that kind of girl. And then I started doing martial arts and um, evidently I was I was good at it and I didn't have that self-awareness that I would be good at such a sport, you know. And then yeah. my trainer said to me, I-, I think you're going to be my first female black belt. And that was the moment it dropped into me like, hang on a minute, maybe I'm more than just this happy, you know, pretty-go-lucky kid. Um, yeah. Maybe there's something else in me. And he had trained um, Amer- American military soldiers and I'd also dated a guy who'd been um, in the Australian Army and I was like, I'm going to go see if I can do that. So that was my big um, process around joining the army. But for me, it was really more about what is possible for me if I tap into this a little bit more. Mm. Mm, that's good. Um, <clears throat> so the joining the army was like the next challenge, was it? Like what, what else can I achieve? Yeah, I would say it was my first challenge. I would say up until that point, I'd just kind of been very good, been the good girl, followed the bouncing ball, um, you know, gone from job to job, didn't really think I had any leadership qualities, didn't really think I was ever going to be, 
anything special. I just worked in retail, you know, and I know that I had a great energy and loved being around people, etc. But I, I kind of went like, hang on a minute, there's something here. And it's those moments, Ian, you know, you'll know them very well now that you reflect on them and with the training that we've got. It's those moments that are those very intuitive pings that you don't know what it means or you don't know where it's at. But now, like it makes all the sense in the world. It was my first reflection of being a leader, basically, and leading myself. Mm. Yeah, awesome. And yeah. being someone who's been competitive my whole life, I, I have no concept of what that must be like to flick the switch and then suddenly have that realisation. Yeah. Still curious, though, with the army, like when, yeah. when you were joining... Were you thinking yeah. about the the implications of what that actually nah. meant? No, nah, just nah. just all about the challenge. <laughs> My whole life. So I I don't know if you know human design, but I'm a three five, which is the experiential, right? You got to go experience it. So literally, as far forward as I thought was basic training. I wonder if I could do that. I I knew what it entailed. Like I said, I dated a guy who went to um, the Royal Military College, which is officer training. So I'd been on the other end of the phone when he was talking about how strict and how hard that training was. So I had some concept of it, but I was like, I don't know, I'll go give it a crack. Like that, and literally, that's kind of my philosophy of life. Yeah, love it. So, what did yeah. you learn about yourself through that process then? I very quickly learned that I was um, much stronger than my self identity that I would have described myself to be, right? So very quickly when I went into um, recruit training, I got put into a leadership position and I, I overheard some of the trainers saying, you know, our two strong girls and I was one of them. And I was like, oh, so all this stuff that life gives you, like these reflections that life gives you that I was yeah. like, I wouldn't have called myself strong, you know. So I very quickly learned that actually, number one, I'm probably naturally quite good at this and number two, if I stop giggling and laughing and joking and being silly and actually try a little bit, I am actually pretty good at it, you know, and yeah. I can really do well here. So, yeah, that was a big turning point for me. Yeah, wow. That's cool. And so how long did you last in the Army? Oh, I loved it. So I was um, in the Army for uh, eight years full time. So I was up in Darwin and did a whole bunch of deployments. And I always say I loved being a female in that space because they always needed a female to join a team to do something. So I got so much experience. Yeah. Um, and then when I started to have children, I went back into the reserves. So I think I was there for four years in reserves. So, yeah. Any, like, scary moments or, like, anything that was, like, really sort of tested that mental and physical strength that you talked about? Again, I think I'm a bit weird. I actually really loved all of that challenge. And I think that's probably something else that I learned about myself, like the, the sort of heavy pressure that you would get put under is where I would thrive. Um, I think the most challenging part about being in that environment is coming out of it because you're very well trained into that space and you're very well trained um, and conditioned and, you know, emotions have to be shifted, don't they? Like our exposure to, um, you can't be all sad when you're, you know, in challenging and conflicting situations. I did a couple of um, quick reaction forces with the infantry soldiers and like I said, I really got a big experience of what it's like to be in, in many varied spaces. I was on the first deployment that brought all the refugees over, um, you know, under the John Howard government. So I really got a lot in that. But you're so well trained, Ian. And I think the most challenging thing, and I think we this is reflected in the world now with the amount of PTSD and suicide that we see in ex-soldiers, is, yeah. is retraining yourself to come back into life. Because there's a lot of significance in that job as well. So that's interesting that they put so much time and effort into the training to have you be part of it but it doesn't sound like they do much afterwards. 
No, they do their best, um, again, within the constraints of the quote-unquote normal um, yeah. mental health support systems. They do their best. So there's sort of, sort of like uh, exit training that you can do, but it's more geared towards how do we get you a job out in Sydney Street. And, right. you know, I think... Uh, and if there is PTSD, it's more geared toward um, military-style support, which is like the hospitals and the medications and things like that. So I know quite a few people that were um, in the military with me that have gone into coaching because this this modality actually really makes a difference in reframing those events and, you know, finding out who you are again rather than being that ex-military person. Mm. It made me, the, the uh, link I would draw would be, to when people get made redundant and yeah. they don't do anything around their mental and emotional so well from yeah. my my experience and the conversations I've had with people who have been made redundant I, I took a voluntary redundancy which is different but it still yeah. presents the same challenges right there's still a sense of rejection there's still a a uh, a then like well how do I now go about what's next and it's all about finding your job same thing all the help yeah, like is, very practical knowledge, right? But yeah, not yeah. really um, emotional or spiritual knowledge. And again, coming from that very practical and logical space, like, and again, when people, the, the first time I noticed it, because I did, I, at the end of my career, I transferred over to study psych, because what I noticed was coming back in from deployment is when people probably need the most support. Um, you know, they've seen things, they've done things, and even if they haven't, even if it's been a really easy deployment, they have been away from the world for six months but the well went on and you jump back in and you're like oh god where do i fit kind of thing you know but of mm. course when we come back into country we get psych um assessments and we get people you know asking us questions about our mental wellness but all we want to do is go home so we are not saying anything about our mental health we're not telling the truth we come back in saying no i'm good because we just want to get home to our loved ones so you know we don't want right. to be held up in that space yeah, yeah interesting, interesting. <laughs> yeah so, so how did you go from coming out of the military into coaching? Is it because you had an experience being coached? No. So at that stage, I had transferred over to psychology and I was in a, um, in a university doing a psych degree and the military was supportive of that. It's very good for that kind of thing. Um, and then I went out and, and had children and I got really um, serious anxiety and postnatal depression. And again, reflection is a wonderful thing. Looking back, obviously all of the military training that I had was very specific and very precise and kids don't behave that way, Ian. <laughs> so trying to parent under that kind of psychology, yeah, was a, there's a lot of perfectionism going on. Um, and so I had, yeah, postnatal depression, um, undiagnosed because I hit it really well with the first one. With my second one, my, um, my nurse picked it up and uh, I went to a lot of psychologists and I was just getting nowhere. And I was like, like, this sounds really trite, but I was like, I'm smarter than these people. I know what they're doing. Like, you know what I mean? So it wasn't yeah. getting through. It wasn't feeling like they were actually making an impact. And I don't knock the field of psychology. It's super important. But for my experience, it was just I'm getting nowhere and I was getting very frustrated. And then I ran into a coach at like a health and wellness event. Um, and he said to me, there's nothing wrong with you. You have everything you need within you. We just need to reconnect you with those resources. And I was like, hook, line and sinker. What do I need to do? Um, and that's where my coaching journey started. So, again, me being me and feet first and, you know, straight in. I did some coaching with him. And I was straight into my own like four-year journey of learning to be a coach. Awesome. And sometimes that's all it needs, right? Is like that description is there's nothing, you're not broken. There's yeah. nothing wrong with you. That was the magical moment, Ian. Like everyone had been, 
you know, trying to label you, postnatal depression. Um, I went on medication against my kind of value set and not that I'm anti-medication. I think it's so supportive, but I was like, I don't think it is medication that's needed. I think it's something else. Like again, those intuitive hits, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know, they know better and they're the experts in the field. And yeah, the minute that somebody stopped trying to tell me that there was something wrong or that I was doing something wrong or that this was normal, is it? Is this normal? Is this how you're meant to feel? You know what I mean? As soon as they said, there's nothing wrong with you, you don't need fixing, I was like, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Gene solution. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm with you, like psychology has its place. Yeah. And I, I often get people who have had psychology and they've gone to a certain point, but now they're like, okay, now, but now I, I want some strategy and some direction. Yeah. So what was yeah. the key thing that you learned then? If you're coming out of uh, postnatal depression, like what what were you experiencing in that time where you were uh, looking for answers? Yeah, so for a little while I used to say I wasn't depressed, I was just bored. So again, you all know this language and I and call me up if it's not what you usually would say for the listeners, but our, my map of the world, so my construct of the world, and I was just doing parenting the way that I'd seen parenting done, which was I stopped working, I stayed at home with the kids, like my husband went to work, um, you know, and I was just so bored. And um, and I and I still think there's something in that, but also the pressure that I would put on myself to be this perfect parent and not having a purpose in life. So I went from being at the top of my field, well respected, knew exactly the direction, knew what I was doing every day, I was good at it, to not to feeling so lost. And it's why my brand is called Warrior to Warrior because I go back to that worry, right? Like, oh, I don't know yeah. what the hell I'm doing with these kids, um, and I'm obviously getting it all wrong, you know. And so that's where I think the depression came along. Tell me, like I, like I mentioned before we came on, like I'd get some different mm. tells in my body and, and like the, mm. the feeling out there around lower back was like, was, was there because you were so strong and you'd learned so much, was there a reluctance for you to ask for help as well? Oh, yes, that's been my, the whole thing as well, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think uh, it was at that time I moved home to where my parents lived because I knew that I, I needed some support, but I was very stubborn as well. So, you know, when my mum would say, you know, can I take the kids, I would hear because you're weak. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never that, right? She was, she's an amazing grandmother and she just wanted to spend time with them. Definitely overbearing Dutch grandmother. Um, But like I had that support there, you know what I mean? But it was like, I can do it. And, and, and if you, again, my mum will say to me, you know, my first instinct as a child and my daughter's got the same thing will be like, don't help me. I can do it. So that's been something that I've really, really done a lot of work around with my own coaches. Mm. Um, I can see there where you've got that uh, it's self-determination, right? Like I, I, I want to be able to do this myself. Is that something that? Yes. Can... Yeah. yeah. Self-determination yeah. and stubbornness. And um, uh, if we go a little bit deeper, probably even a little bit of um, a lack of trust that support was going to be there and or that it would get taken away at any moment. So if I rely on myself first, it's that hyper-independence that a lot of women experience. Um, through those masculine relationships, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fine line, but uh, self-determination and stubborn, isn't it? Very, very fine. And that's why I said a lot of the work I've done with my coaches is knowing I can do everything, but I don't have to. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> the other yeah. word that, that sort of comes to mind for me is it's control, right? Like wanting to be in control, not wanting to be controlled. That that was my experience, absolutely. Yeah, and it's funny, a lot of the people that come to me now, that causes suffering, right? And when you need to control so much, you are suffering. And 
Um, my tell used to be if I started rearranging my linen closets and labeling everything, I was like, oh, possibly I'm lacking some of, I'm feeling out of control here because I'm trying to sort of put everything into place, yeah. Um, so yeah, that definitely, I would definitely have been self-diagnosed as a control freak back then. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. Reco- oh, so yeah. <laughs> often on this podcast, I'm a recovering control freak. Um, yes, exactly. I say recovering perfectionist as well because I think that's a really big one, yeah. Yeah, 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 cool. Um, okay, and do you remember, like, that postnatal depression, do you remember when that was all going on? Like, do you remember the overriding feeling you were getting was it was it well you just nodded so i'll let you answer it yeah i do yeah Yeah. the overriding feeling that i had and i often use this when i'm speaking um in about you know the experience that it is to go from you know perfectionism to certainty is that the question i would ask and wake up with is what's wrong with me that's such a shit question to ask yourself right so i felt like i was wrong um, I felt very apathetic. I felt like I'd lost my, like, who am I? I've lost my drive. I've lost my purpose. I've lost my connection. Um, especially with my second child, with my daughter, I had a bit more of a traumatic birth and I didn't connect with her as much. So it's like, I'm, I'm a horrible person who doesn't connect with their child, you know, no. but the overarching feeling was what's wrong with me. And that's why when I found coaching and the first thing that that guy said to me was, there's nothing wrong with you. I was like, tell me more. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the question I couldn't find the answer to. Well, you can, you can find the answer to, but the answers are all pretty horrible when you're going from in your own, you know, trauma. Mm. Mm. Do you remember, like, was it, when you say postnatal depression, like, I mm. obviously don't have any understanding of it. Mm. Is it, is it every day? Is it? different times of the day you just completely let me explain to you yeah let me explain to you when it got to the point where I was like you know something else has to happen here so you know other people will tell you what depression is and they'll say this is what you're experiencing so the the anxiety and the stress and the you know upset or whatever but for me I would um drop my two little kids off at daycare in the morning and I would come home and I would know they did take daycare like one and a half days a week, you know. Um, and they would, I would come home and I would know, like in my mind, I would be like, just don't stop, just don't stop, just don't stop. But I'd be like, I'll just sit on the couch and have something to eat. And then I would not get off the couch. Like I would just stay on the couch all day and watch Dr. Phil and Oprah and Ellen and all of those. And then um, go back to pick the kids up from daycare and make dinner. And that was my life. And I was like, oh, and, and I felt so much shame about it. And I deal with this now with clients that come to me, the shame that you have when you're in survival mode, um, because there's a lack of control around it, but you know, you're choosing it as well. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was yeah, really horrible. Yeah. yeah. To me, that just sounds like you're exhausted and you needed yeah. to just to rest and recharge. I don't, I don't know if yeah. you've seen much of Jason Silver. He, he talks about, he, he's a, modern day philosopher i guess you'd call him and he looks at the origins of words and he goes look at the word depressed it's like deep rest your body is telling you need to rest and that's mentally that's physically that's emotionally spiritually everything and again having been pregnant haven't been a mum but two things that really stand out as I watched my wife go through it twice when she was just constantly tired and then the real changer for me was we had paternity leave and i got to have six weeks paternity leave where I had the two of them when they were 
both under three or whatever, and I was like, oh, my God, how <laughs> did you do this? Because the, yeah, isola- the isolation, yeah. the yeah. lack and of you know what? That's conversation. Yeah, and you're just watching Friggin' the Wiggles all day. And do you know what? This is the thing. What you say there is 100% on point. It is you need to rest. And the problem is my psychology and my social, um, you know, the social conversation around that is we can do it all. Women yeah. can do it all, you know. And, and I would say the same thing. I, like I said, I work with women now who are judging themselves for needing to rest. And I'm a good rester now. Don't worry. Um, yeah. But back then I did need to just sit on the couch and watch that TV all day. But I was judging myself so harshly for it that that's the depression, the lack of connection between knowing that actually you have, I had two little kids um, at that stage. I've got, I had three all up, but you know, like my husband worked away when we first had babies, he deployed to Iraq for 11, uh, for um, nine months. So I've done it all on my own. Um, and, and again, the thing that got in the way of, of curing the depression or, or even seeing it as not depression as you just need rest was this stubbornness that I could do it all. And I think that's the message I'm very passionate about shifting now for women as well. Like we can, yeah. but we don't have to do it all at once, right? Um, and really, like like lots of work, lots and lots of work has gone into being able to rest without guilt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to ask you about that uh, friend of mine who actually will be coming on the pod in the uh, coming weeks. She yeah. helps women in business and she did a post just this morning talking exactly about that, thinking you have to do more and you have to be constantly on. And But actually it's the rest in your business and, and the slowing down, which is the key element. Now, for me, I know that has been a challenge at different times because it's like mm. being so hardwired and I got into business to have more flexibility and to have more family time. And at different times, it's actually been the opposite. I've worked harder yeah. than I ever worked in a job. Do you still find that now? And if so, how do you navigate it? Because... This is me from like personally curious, but also I'm sure my listeners yeah. are the same. Because burnout is a big thing I talk about. Yeah, uh, occasionally now, but like I said, I have done a lot of work on it, and I've done a lot of the deep um, unconscious work around my my role. So my role as a woman, my role as a mother, um, the uh, inner masculine and feminine balance that I have. You know, because it's the if you think about the way that we're conditioned, that masculine drive, like do more, be, be more, do more, have more, you know what I mean? Like go, go, yeah. go. Um, if you want to achieve something, then you need to work harder. And and it's actually the complete opposite. And I know that sounds really weird not to you, but maybe to people listening, coaches are always banging on about it. But like you said, the rest is the work. Um, and uh, so now not so much. And if I do have it, I can immediately recognise it and go like, oh, hang on a minute, like there's that old thing, you know, but it, yeah. but it wasn't something that was quick to undo. Let's just say yeah. that, yeah. And I think that's a really important point is like that some of these things take time. Yeah. It's like the military Time reconditioning experience, yeah, exactly. Uh, knowing when, because like you said, there's always a polarity, right? Knowing the fine line between are you resting or are you avoiding, you know, yeah. and really yeah. self-awareness is the real key to your whole life, isn't it? Mm. Uh, the best description was um, the guest a few weeks ago, Barra. She was saying, when your body is tired, it'll tell you it's tired. But when you're not really tired and it's avoidance, the, your, your mind, your ego will have to market itself to convince you you're tired. Ah, uh, love it. And I love that. And she talked about intuition yeah. as well. It's like 
it's when when that. when the conditioning's coming in, it's it's got to try and convince you. It's got it's it's does marketing. I was like, oh, that's such a great description. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm definitely going to take that. It has to market itself to you. Yeah, that's very yeah. true. <laughs> uh, the shame that you talked about, it's a big one for mm-hmm. mums, right? The guilt and shame about mm-hmm. needing to do things. Can I do something for myself? All of those things. What what did you learn about that? And and what's some wisdom you could pass on to the mums listening? My first, the first thing that comes up for me when you ask that question is get a coach <laughs> because the shame that you've learned, like, and through personal experience and through coaching many other women through this, it's, um, it's through tribal patterning, you know. So the shame that I experienced was the shame that my mother experienced, the shame that her mother probably experienced, you know, yeah. and we experienced it in a different um, time in the world. So, for example, my grandmother... Um, uh, handled it very differently because the constraints around her socially were very different and my mother handled it very differently because the expectation and constraints around her were different you know and um and so then when I became a mother I had I held a lot of shame in the fact that I my mum used to say I just wanted to be a good mum and a good wife and I'm like oh that sounds boring you know <laughs> so I would have shame around the difference that I had there like oh I must be a horrible woman because I want to work and go and have a purpose and do something other than parenting. You should also know, Ian, I, I, my whole life was never going to have children. I was like, no way, I'm never having children. I'm like this tough girl. I grew up around a lot of boys. I was like, I'm a boy, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And then when I did have children, like the, the number one, my number one purpose in this world and the thing that I'm the absolute best at is being a mother. And I, and I truly believe that's why all this pain came through for me because I had to learn that actually that's the place I'm best. Oh, that's awesome. Love that. <laughs> okay. Now, before we jumped on and talked about, uh, you know, like you're a coach and, and mm-hmm. you've done a heap of work on these different things and, and that I got a feeling that these first two things we talked about, you, you've done a heap of stuff on, which is why I was mainly asking about the learning. But you mm-hmm. said you had you got separated in 2020 and mm-hmm. that's like rel- relatively speaking in terms of grief, that's still relatively close right it can take years and years and years to, to move past things so was that a slow burn to to well in to my get experience to that point it always or... is but was yeah, it like a yeah. okay we just sort of grew apart or was there a moment or like how did it unfold and i didn't know him oh have you got me did i just stop? yeah you no. better you better start oh. that again because it froze yeah, okay. It was probably both actually because um, the thing I didn't know back then that I know about myself now is that I have quite a strong connection to that intuitive guidance like you've been doing on this call, yeah? Um, but back then I didn't know it. So I did. I definitely got a ping when my third child was about one. Um, this is not for you. You know what I mean? Like this is probably not working out great and it's time to go. Um but that, that ping is a whole different thing to the reality of your life. So from then forward, that was the first time I voiced it. That was the first time I said, like, no, I don't think this is a very good relationship and, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy in it. Um, that was about seven years before I actually left. When you say voiced it, you voiced it to him or you voiced yeah, it to yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the first time I voiced it to him, yeah, yeah. And was the reaction from him shock or yes. kind of, oh, really? Yeah, shock. Yeah, absolute shock. Because I think a lot of the time, and again, there's, you know, we're talking the conditioning of men here as well, um, and the emotional disconnection that maybe men have been experiencing 
previously. Um, yep. So for him, it was like, well, to be a good husband and a good father is just to provide, right? And just to provide that physical safety and it's um, not a whole lot to do with emotional safety and emotional connection, you know? So when I first said it, yeah, it was devastated. Mm. Yeah, and there's a, it's probably not so much dad guilt, but there's definitely uh a challenge for for dads around constantly thinking am i providing enough am i doing enough uh, mm. am i enough all mm. of those things and, and mm. it is a, it's a product from what you said there it's like suppressed emotions it's it's two generations ago coming back from world wars uh, yes there's the women that had to take on the more masculine role there's men coming back with undiagnosed ptsd there's a whole lot of things that have happened and now now society now just seems to again this is going to be very biased towards men but just seems to yeah, I get it. Kick, kick men you know like we've got to be yeah. we've got to, we've got to make up for all the sins of the past past yeah. men and and yet at the same time we we're going to sit there and just uh um and just keep soldiering on so yeah and i sorry yeah go on i have stuff to say on this one Ian. (laughs) because in my experience of going through that separation i did do a lot of um uh, you know therapy and coaching in my own work as well around these different roles of men and women and i and i truly believe like you said um this is where feminism has kicked us in the ass because you know, I don't need a man. I can do everything myself. Like I've got all the opportunity now. Also, what, what? So, what do they do with that? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so, I think men, again, like you said, two generations ago, um, going to war, leaving us, women had to pick up those roles. So we did yeah. have to step into that more masculine role, right? And then we were like, hang on, we liked that a bit of a taste of that, you know, choice and freedom. Because again, there's always two sides to everything. Like the balance of the, the I'll say male and female, masculine, feminine, you know what I mean. Doesn't matter if it's yeah. man or woman. Um, yeah. But there, there, there became a competition between men and women, didn't there? And I believe that feminism went to the other side where we're now being a bit, um, we're pushing men down because we felt so suppressed or oppressed, yeah? So rather than come up to being matching and, and sitting in our best roles, we've gone the other way, like now you're shit and now you have to do more and now you have to, you know, take care of me and be emotionally available. And it's like all of that has its place, but it's like, yeah, but how do we let men be men and how do we let women be women and how does that connect? Yeah, and there's obviously so much more to it than that. Like, so much to, more. Yeah, yeah. I think back to a yeah. guest a while back, and he said, you know, he he went into a uh, the building industry, and and everything he heard was older men complaining about their wives and and their lives, and he's like, yes, I do not want to be like this. Yes, and so that's yes. like again, not right or wrong. It's it's probably no. just a product of what they had role modeled to them as well. Um, but back to, to your own journey then. So you were able to finally externalize it. Then when you, when you said, okay, well, I'm not sure this is working out. Like then did you then sit on that for a while or like, where did that lead things to? Yeah. So what happened from that point on, like life tends to come at you when you make these sort of awarenesses and decisions in life, right? It's a pattern that rolls off there. So um, we were in the middle of that conversation about, you know, what are we going to do about this? And then 
my ex-husband's father got very sick and um, we had to fly over, you know, um, to New Zealand and to be with him. So, of course, then everything gets put on the back burner. Um, and, of course, then all of the focus is towards supporting him go through this uh, his own grieving process of losing his father, you know. So it went on the back burner for quite some time then. And, uh, and then as we sort of came back to it, because it's going to keep revisiting, isn't it? It's going to keep coming up. Uh, I went through, and again, it's probably quite indicative of what you were saying before, like my um, stubbornness or my I can do everything and it's like, right, like we'll fix it, right? So uh, I, we went to therapy, um, traditional psych therapy. We did programs and coaching and all sorts of stuff where I was like, where really what I was doing was trying to change who he was. Um, and it wasn't until I came to the point where I where I realised that, where I was like, hang on a minute, I think I'm trying to change you into somebody that I want you to be, but but who are you really? And I don't think he even knew the answer to that. I don't think he even knows it now. Um, but when I realised that, uh, that's when I knew, oh, wow, this is really over. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So then what steps do you take then? Like, okay. Yeah. It's one thing to acknowledge it, but then it's, again, I'm guessing and only from the experience I've helped with people who have gone through it is like then the actual reality of it is a whole other thing and, and is more than perhaps you were ready to. to uh, yeah, it's gut-wrenching. It's like one of those moments in life. I remember sitting in the car at the beach just having that feeling like I want to vomit because it's gut-wrenching. I don't want to tell him this. Uh, and then the children, like we've got kids and you know, then what are the other people in our lives going to think? And like all of that pressure comes up, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And so for me, I did what I thought um, I could manage and what I thought was a good move for everybody. And I did it like a, a part-time, like a half separation. So I got my own apartment. And because he worked week on, week off, we hot housed with the kids. So he would stay in the house for the week that he was home and then I would stay in the house for the week that he was away. And we just took some space that way. Um, and also did some uh, relationship coaching around that time as well. So I did that uh, for about six months. And at the end of that six months, I did we did go back in. I was like, okay, cool, let's you know give this another shot. And then I think it was only about four months later. Again, I had one of those moments where I was like, actually, he's not going to do the work. This is not what he wants. You know what I mean? Um, and not from a place of judgment, but just from a place of like. We've, we're moving in different directions um, and I just had that moment of, you know what, I'm going to stop trying to make this work. And that was October and then he moved out the next January because my parents were coming to visit for Christmas and I was like, all right, so we just lived in separate rooms for a few months, which again is pretty common um, until we sort of sorted everything out, yeah. Was was there part of you being that, like you mentioned perfectionism before, was there part of you that didn't want to admit that you couldn't fix it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And especially being a coach, I was like, what do you mean? Like, I've got all the tools and all the work and all the therapy. And it's like, yeah, but um, the thing that I had to realise, Ian, was like I was doing all the work and I was so invested in doing the work. And um, and he was just very happy being him and plodding along. And he gets to be him, you know what I mean? And we're just going to be two very different people in this space. And, um, you know, uh, there was definitely trauma bonding involved in that relationship and until you unpack all of that and know what it is and, you know, it's not going to shift anything. But certainly I fought so hard and um, 
part of me is like, oh, for God's sake, you should have just left earlier. But part of me is like, well, I know for certain that I gave it everything I had in every direction. And um, and that gives me peace that um, that the decision was right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's uh, important from when you unpack it is like, did I, did I give this everything I could? And generally people have, they're just not recognising that they have. Yeah, that's true. And we stay because, again, um, there's a societal expectation, isn't there? We celebrate the longevity of a relationship, not the quality of a relationship. And like you just said then, you know, in the building industry, listening to all those older men complain about their wives, don't worry. That's exactly what's happening on the other side too. Is that what we call a relationship? Like two people just complaining about each other to their friends and not actually having any open Mm -hmm. dialogue with each other, you know? So, yeah, there's definitely pressure from, I would say, from the three levels. There's a societal, tribal, and then your own pressure. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned there that that worry about the judgment from everyone, which I Mm -hmm. imagine would be a massive one. It's true for all areas of life where we want to change and we we want (laughs) to take a different path. The initial reaction is, well, what will people think if if this is yeah. wrong, or if it is the yeah. way I go, or what what's the judgment? So, so what were those sort of conversations you were having with yourself around all of that? Yeah, and on that, the judgment that you have with yourself is a lot more is often a lot more than the judgment others are going to have of you. Like they don't give a toss; they're doing their own problems, right? But for yeah. me, it was mostly around the kids. It was mostly around being a mom, and I don't know. My ex would say too, like you know he had a very strong belief that even if we were unhappy, it was better for them to have two parents in the same home. And I fundamentally knew that that was a lie for me, um, that that was untrue, that two happy parents are going to be better than two miserable parents, you know, but it really played into my conditioning. My parents had, um, no one I knew had been divorced, you know. Um, And so I remember asking a lot of questions of people who had um, split families. How did the kids take it? How did the kids take it? And of course, everyone's giving you like their fine line because um, nobody wants to say that maybe it had an impact, you know. Um, but I really remember looking for a lot of certainty outside of myself around will my kids be okay? Um, again, not coming back to trusting that they will be okay when I'm okay, you know. Yeah. 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 And that, oh, that's a great line. I think no matter what, what the circumstances is, is we have to address our part in it first. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I work with some younger people and I make sure I work with the parents as well because... Always, yeah. It, you're just putting them back into an environment where the same thing's happening. Not to say that the parents are doing anything horribly wrong at all. No. No, it's not that at all. No, it's not just at all. The pattern, it's the, whatever the pattern is that's producing the, the challenges for the child is a pattern like 99.99% of the time is a pattern from the home. So let's let's work out where that's showing up and, and actually address it. So I imagine for you being the coach in all of this would have had so many benefits, but I imagine it also would have had so many challenges, right? Because you're, you're already thinking you know the answers and like what we do really well is self-coach and you've done well in this because sometimes coaches come on and they want to, here's an answer, here's a problem, but here's how I solved it sort of thing, whereas you've just been Man. really happy, which I've loved. Yeah. But in that moment, were you, were you trying to, uh, were you putting too much pressure on you to, to be like getting it right? Yes, and uh, also I felt the pressure from him. So I knew mm. everything and it was my field of expertise and um, I would know how to fix it. And I, 
if I can see, you know, my mum has done this to me too. Like if I can understand the human behaviour, then I can tolerate the shit, right? Like, yeah. No. No. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did used to say quite often, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not okay. I'm also a human. So just because I'm a coach doesn't mean I'm not experiencing exactly what you're experiencing. And when you're in emotional um, reactivity, you are not a coach anymore. You're a human. No. Yeah. And so I would often say, like, it's actually, I'd use the word not fair, um, that you get to, you know, have your responses, but you expect me to be perfect in this. But, you know, that was from both sides, absolutely. And I, look, I think the whole way through Owen, uh, Owen, that's my kid's name, Ian, um, I had my own mindset coach supporting me through. So when I would have a tanty, as I like to call it, because the child comes up and the not fairness comes up. And when I would have a tanty pants and I'd be like, I just need to go and talk to my coach <laughs> and get some work around this so I could articulate it properly. And, and even then, you know, like coming back into that, only one of us was doing that. So it will get you a certain way down the track. But if two people aren't able to communicate from that space of self-responsibility, it's just going to end in tears. Mm-hmm. So yeah. good. And uh, I'd love to point out that, that uh, coaches have coaches too because we do because we probably need them more than most, I'd say. More than anyone. That's why we're in this line of work, right? But also we're dealing with a lot more growth and our speed of growth is a lot more, I think. You know, people will come to – so the people come to you for six months and they do this big period of growth, but we're doing that every day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You said that uh, when you are going through that, um, he was expecting you to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I imagine you've done a bit of work on this sort of thing, how often that projection that comes from externally is is a, a product of what's going on. So, so do you feel like there was an element of him presenting that you need to be perfect was actually just presenting back to you of that feeling like you needed to be at the same time? 100%. So when I say he was expecting me to be perfect, that was not his experience at all. That was my experience. Oh, that wasn't him saying that. That was just how you Never. were. Right. Just that's how I, he just, un, unconsciously, there was just an unconscious um, understanding that I knew better about emotional stuff than he did. So he would just rely on me for those answers. So he's, he was unaware of it completely. Mm, okay. um, yeah. So his kind of expectation was like, and again, this is probably, you know, a lot of why the marriage broke up is because there was a real parent child aspect going on there and a very masculine imbalance. So I was being the masculine, I was being the parent. Um, and that, that was all my work to do, you know? Um, yeah. So when I say he, I would say it's not fair, you know, you get to have these um, human moments and I have to be perfect. That's how I was experiencing it. He would never have said, you should know better. No, never. No. Wow. Completely unaware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the start when I said, oh, I think we're going to target this area more because of what I felt, what I, the original emotion I felt was anger and frustration. Now, you may not identify with that or you may, but I'd, I'd love to ask you, like, because it's an important part of the grieving process, right? I think yes. a lot of people suppress the anger because they're like, how I I can't be angry through this. Well, the reality is if you don't deal with it, it'll come because that, that was very much yeah. my experience. Suppress, suppress, oh, suppress, yeah. and the anger would come out and usually in the worst people, like, with, you know, when I'm dealing with my children or my wife or whatever else. Yes. Like, what, yeah. what what experience did you have through that? Or, and actually, same question for, for your ex, like, was the same thing showing up for him as well? Yeah, and I feel like we went through the grief cycle about five freaking times in the last three years. I said, because yeah, right. like when you break up with someone, like, 
I don't know, everybody's different in a breakup, but my experience of a breakup is I don't see you anymore. We have space. We get to go and hate that person for a while, right, and be um, separate and go through all the grief and whatever. But when you break up with someone who you have children with, you're like, all right, see you next week. You know what I mean? Because you're doing the handover of the kids. Yeah. Or, wow. Yeah, you can't, you can't talking, actually talking. step away. Oh, you can't yes. separate. So it was so messy. It was so messy to begin with and, you know, dropping the kids off. And I don't know anyone who's been through it. My experience of seeing my children, I remember it so clearly, seeing their three little heads in the back of his car driving away. I was gutted. Like, you know, and it was I was the one that made the choice. So I can't imagine what it feels like when you're not the one that makes the choice. But... So anger and resentment is something that has come up a lot. And I think that there's both a benefit and a, and a negative to it. So the benefit is like sometimes you need to have anger to that person to create that boundary. So there's got to be like, yeah, you know what? I am angry and I'm going to process that. And I always say you can't meditate your way out of anger. You've got to go hit something. You've got to go run. You've got to get that energy out, right? So, And I find this a lot with women. They're like, I'm just trying to be, you know, loving and nice. And I'm like, fuck that. Go and punch something. Like you need to get it out. Like we're humans too, right? Um, And so, yeah, and and absolutely no doubt. Like there are times when he comes at me and and it's quite – uh, I can I can tell it's very reactive that he's had some stuff going on and he's angry, you know, and so it comes out logically. They're like, hey, what about this and what about that? But it's like coming from anger, but again, very normal and sometimes really freaking healthy to have anger. It's the resentment that I think you want to work through and let go of because resentment keeps you stuck in that cycle. Yeah, and, and revenge feelings, all of those really uh, what would be associated with nasty words, right? But Correct. you're still yeah. going to feel them and it's okay to feel them. And that's like, I love yeah. how you said that. You've still got to process it. Because I'm Yeah, about, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But not always with that person. Do you no. know what I mean? No, no, yeah. absolutely. So I was always very concerned. Like I, we made an agreement early on and we talked to our children. We were like, we will do our absolute best to maintain a, our family. Um, and what that means is him and I have to deal with our shit separately because we yep. can't be fighting with each other. Um, and there's been a few times when I've probably let something slip about, you know, oh, and dad did this or whatever. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, don't do that. Like, that's their dad. You know what I yeah. mean? And I think that's a really tough one because you're looking for people to be on your side as well. It's that human thing like, you know, where's my people? Where's my where's my tribe kind of thing? Um, and so, yeah, processing that anger. So the, I, I think the difference that we had was, like I said, I had a coach and I would go to her and I do all my processing there. And he didn't. So he would come to me. So setting that boundary and saying, got to go find someone, you've got to go get a friend, you've got to go, you know, it doesn't have to be a therapist, it could just be a mate at the pub, but you've got to go and you've got to have that whinge about me with someone else because I can't be the person to work you through this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And Well, yeah, I love that. And that's if, if the men listening, that, that that's what they should be listening to, you've got to find someone. I've had that conversation. Get to the pub, have a beer with your mate. Like, unless beer's not your thing, then go and do a run or join a club. Like, yeah, find a tribe of men because that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Now, there's a couple of things that are showed up here that I just wanted to to dive into because I think that'd be great, great things for for the people to hear from someone who does this work. Um, I'm guessing you're a big picture thinker. Yeah, dreamer. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there can be a challenge sometimes where you've seen the dream in your head and, and an impatience that oh, just be fucking done already. Money. Yeah. <laughs> impatience yeah. is my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so 
again, there'll be a lot of dreamers and big picture thinkers listening. Yeah. How, how do you allow yourself just to come back to balance? Okay, here it is. Yeah. And then how do you make sure that you're, you're more balanced in allowing it time and space and energy to actually come to reality? Yeah. So my favorite thing to remember in this space, because I am that big picture thinker, and even in the separation, Ian, like I could see where we are now, like three years down the track and the kids being settled and happy and us both having other lives and, you know, two happy parents. But what I didn't account for was the two to three year walk through the fucking fire that we needed to do to get there. Um, and so my favorite quote around this is um, Esther Hicks talks about it and she says, you know, we, we plant a tomato seed in the ground. We go, I want tomatoes. Tomatoes are delicious. <laughs> you know, like they're going to be the best thing ever. I'm going to have these beautiful tomato plants. So we put the seed in the ground and then we go to bed and then we come back out the next day and we're like, oh, well, no fucking tomatoes. Great. Well, that didn't work, did it? You know what I mean? That's like my whole philosophy. So that's how, that's how I bring it back to myself. I'm like, hang on a minute. When was the seed planted? Have I watered it? Has it got sunlight? Has it got nourishment? Like come back to self again, sit back in patience. And um, this is where the rest comes in. That's it now. Stop Ooh. doing and go for a walk or do something fun or, you know, rest, watch a shitty Netflix show, like come back because the answers will come. And I, I always say that to people and it's very different, I think, for men and women in this space. I don't know, maybe you can add to that, but um, like receiving the guidance is very different to hunting it down. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I just wanted to add, you, you were quoting yeah. Esther Hicks and you were swearing. I'm like, I don't remember her ever swearing, but that would be fucking funny <laughs> if you did. <laughs> Can you imagine her with her beautiful posh accent for dropping a little F-bomb in there? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the Nicky-ism that comes with it. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Um, I've completely distracted myself. What was the last thing you said? Oh, that you said I love like? it. I love it. I said the last thing I said was that when you are impatient and you're trying to be in a rush and you've got to come back to allowing the answer to come yes. to you rather than hunting it down. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's where the men and women will be different, or male and female, whatever. Uh, yeah. And masculine. Um, yeah. And that's where, for for me, for the male, the masculine, it's bringing more structure to the guidance. Yeah. And it means that externalizing is really important. So yeah. the absolutely trying to force, and I think that's true no matter which angle you come, feminine, masculine, that state of allowing, right, is is yes. not trying to force, but just know that the more you can just attach, oh, it's what we were talking about before about the detaching from outcome, right? It's just yes, the more you, exactly, can, yes. you can't control, you can't control meditation either. You can't control yeah. what intuitive guidance will come through either. It will come through when it comes through. Yeah. But if you are in a state of force and push, then it's just not going to come. Pushing it away, might, yeah. Yeah. And then you might try and convince yourself that it's guidance, but really all you're doing is trying to think your way out of out of a problem. So I think it's then going, okay, well, what's the structure for me to be able to what's the what are the steps for me to, to be in the best state to allow that? And for me, it's the journaling process, which is getting really clear on what, what is it I'm actually trying to get to here anyway, create truth, get down on paper, and then the meditation process, which allows space for it to come through. Now, I've now combined both of those things, so I do the journaling and med meditation process together. So because I remember you know, it was a kinesiologist a few years back saying, oh, you need to have your 
journal with you and, and, and I'm like, yeah, but doesn't that break the meditation? It's like, yeah, but you want it's important. You want to remember something, right? I'm like, mm. yeah, I kind of guess you're right. So now it's like being able to just to dip in and out of that meditative state really quickly. Not Again, not trying to control that it has to be who a certain way, yeah. yeah. who decided yeah. it had to be 10 minutes before you, like, just garbage, yeah. right? Find what yeah. works for you. That works for me and that, that like, that's yeah. how I get it. And the writing then is a form of externalising it. Even better if I can talk it out with someone so I can make sense of it. And then, then it's importantly, it's that blend of intuition and logic. Because yeah. if you're just coming yeah. from logic, it's going to be it's going to be okay, but not as good as it yeah. can be. And the same if you're just coming yeah. from an intuitive place, it's missing yeah. the magic of the thinking. So forming yeah. a way to incorporate. Yeah, balance. Yeah. Always balance. Yeah. Well, I say harmony because I don't like balance because it's like it has to be right 50-50, but that's just my mindset, I think. So I say like sometimes it's 10-90, you know, sometimes it's 80-20, but it is, it's the harmony in the, in the like you say there, the logic, um, which is the structure and the masculine energy, and then the intuition, which is the flow and the feminine energy. And it, if every single one of us can do that for ourselves, so like I said, I had to do a lot of work on because when I went from being very masculine and needing to control everything and having charge of everything, then the pendulum swings and you go right over to the feminine side, which, like you said, sitting in complete intuition, I call it sitting on a tree uh, on the top of a hill in the middle of nowhere, hoping fucking life will come at you, right? It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And coming back to the middle of that. So you have to have your own masculine energy. Everybody does to hold that structure. And for you, like you were just saying then, the combination of your meditation and movement and the structures that support you to allow the freedom, the flow and the allowance and the feminine and the patience, you know, and um, again, we look too strongly one way or the other and it gets out of whack and that's how, you know, you're out of alignment. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, I like harmony as well. I like unity, mm. like all those words. I guess yeah. when you get balance, I thought about it and like, well, something's way more than others in balance. Correct. Oh, so, yes, absolutely. And give yourself such, you know, kindness around that. That's exactly what we were talking about before, Ian, when I said like the mm. terrain is different. Some things way more than others. Like, Maybe you're yeah. going through something that is so heavy that you can't give attention to all these other things, you know? Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. grief. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, this this is going to get into a bit more of a um, coaching space, but you said that was okay if I did that. There's, yeah, there's perfect. One thing Go at that, it. Yeah. That showed up a couple of times um, around the separation is uh, digestion, like almost like a bloating sort of feeling. Yeah. Is that something you've experienced since then? And have you done any work on like what different body behaviours? Uh... Um, I guess it has shown up in times when there's a con when there's conflict and friction. Definitely, that that's when mm -hmm. the digestion gets out of whack. And so, yeah. Because I guess the the thing that really st stood out there was like when things take too long. It's similar to that thing around, um, oh you God, know, like yeah. yeah. So it's like just get on with this for crying out loud. Like, and and yeah. I, I, I'm really familiar with this because digestion has been a big thing for me for a lot of different yeah. years and it still shows up at different times, but it also, it's a window into, okay, I'm stressed about something or I'm being impatient yeah, or yeah. I'm rushing here or whatever. Um, yeah. And I love. You're right, actually. I don't think I'd put that together. I don't think I'd actually correlated that, but you're right. And it's when I'm not probably allowing the process to just, take as long as it takes you know um and yeah and it comes up a lot when i see i've got a very um intuitive chiropractor and so she it comes up there yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah um 
I love being able to shine a light out when guests are prepared to go there. And, and, and to yeah. be fair, like it's it's pretty confronting if you haven't done a fair bit of work in this space, which you yeah. already have, because it shines a light for people on if they're going through that and they're they're in a space of constantly blaming their body or like what have yeah. I done? What it's like sometimes it's just it's just showing you where you need to to change things. And it's nothing to yeah. panic over. No, yeah. Don't rush off to the doctor, but instead ask the question, what is my body telling me here? Yeah. I mean, yeah. rush off to the doctor if it's absolutely serious, of course. So I'm not yeah. going to uh, yeah. tell you not to do that. Um, <laughs> tell me, you said you said something about in, intuition there. Um, you say mm. you need to improve. You need to improve it. Is that what you said? Something you were being about oh, no. something specific? Tell me, I, well, tell I me say how. lots of stuff, Ian, and I can't remember oh. what it is. <laughs> okay, so I know what it was. Um, you were talking about intuition and, and how it can be another trap and sitting up on a hill, and, and, and that was yes. absolutely experience for me, right? You can go from yeah. all thinking and then come yes. to this wonderful space, and then that's just another trap where you can get just in a loop of going nowhere in a hurry, but it feels fucking amazing. until yeah, great, right? <laughs> until you realize you've, done, you've done nothing. <laughs> Yeah, well, done nothing, got no friends, like lost your connection because I found when I went into that super woo-woo feminine space as well, like you disconnect from everyone because it's a bit challenging. So when you go into the real world, it's it's abrasive, you know, and it's like, oh, God, like I'm on a hill, like meditating. What are you doing? Like, yeah, so it can also cause isolation. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there's still far too many people preaching that stuff out there and I'm and it's just like I know, anyway, I know. it's hard to catch though isn't it because I think so many people they do need to hear that message but you know you can't it's hard to catch you can't explain everything all in one meme I suppose can you so yeah, exactly yeah. And, and you've got to go through it it's it's the part of the growth process like whether you subscribe to the concept of awakening or whatever it is it's definitely one of the stages where where you just start to to feel better and you start being exposed to different modalities that that help you let go of stuff it's like i want to sit here in this floaty world for a while because what happened before was shit yeah, and maybe your nervous system needs that break, you know. And I love what you said there, Ian. You've got to go through it because I think a lot of the personal development and coaching world is let me solve that problem for you. And I'm like, I don't think we are here to solve a problem. I think we're here to support you through the trauma or through the challenge, walking through the fire, walking through the mud. Like, you're actually going to go and have to feel all these things. I always say to my clients, you're going to do the work. It's going to be fucking uncomfortable, but I'm right here with you. And that's it. it's not our job to fix them it's our job to empower them to be able to move through whatever they're going through yeah and and let them be safe in feeling as well because don't you think like so many people avoid the feeling part like you know i've got clients who don't want to cry or clients who don't want to feel anger and it's like actually that's where all the beauty is you've got to go in and feel those things yeah and then to have someone support you on it that doesn't have an agenda for you that's important oh absolutely and not not the emotional connection (laughs) Where yeah. yeah, like they're not worried about hurting your feelings or they're not worried about protecting <laughs> yeah. you. And I often yeah. say, like, sometimes it's my job to hurt your feelings because that's that's the truth of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be loving, but loving's Yes, yeah. Loving's kind, it's not always nice. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, um, you won't like me all the time and that's okay. <laughs> uh, the, um Another Esther Hicks thought was you talked about all that you've got to feel all the different emotions. It's like you want to experience the full human experience. 
if you're not allowing yourself to feel it, you're actually depriving yourself of one of the wonderful parts of of being in the human form. Being a human, yeah. And I yeah. think that's so important when you speak from, you know, your concept, Ian, of, of grief. You are not going to feel the joy outside of grief until you get in the pit, like get in yeah. the shoot pit and feel that grief, you know, and give yourself the space for it. So, you know, you can sort of see the ladder out. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and I'm glad you brought it back there because that, that's something that I wanted to ask you about. Mm. When you go through the shit, there's still good stuff. But that Always. word guilt and shame, like mm. you laugh at a time when things are going off and you go, oh, am I allowed to feel like that? Yes. Oh, my God, right. yes. Yeah, yes. so yeah, please share your experience. Yeah, you can tell me I've got something up, right? So when I very first left my my um, my marriage, I remember feeling really good. And I remember saying to my coach, like, am I meant to feel worse than this? Is this meant to be, like, am I meant to be in the grief process? And should I be feeling a lot more sad? Like, people tell me how hard it is. And I'm like, I'm just fucking relieved, you know? Um, yeah. And so, like you said, the guilt and the shame about how we should behave if there's, if there's one thing we know and, and, you know, the people who I know have gone through the separation before me and supported me through it and going through it myself, it doesn't have a linear process. <laughs> Your emotions yeah. don't happen in order. You know, it's going to go yeah. all over the place. So, yeah. Yeah, it's good. And uh, and even that, that process around um, the feeling good part, it's mm. everyone's going to have a different experience with that. Mm. It's... It's not right or wrong. It's not going to be a certain order. But the important thing is uh, something you mentioned before. It's like just being kind to yourself through that. Allow it to be how it is because the other people in your life are going, are dealing with the process themselves the best that they can. And like you said, they don't give a toss about what's going on for you. Now, that's probably no. being uh, extreme, but the reality is, Yes, they care, but they're spending 99% of their time thinking about the impact on themselves. Yeah, they've got their own stuff to work with. Everyone's thinking about themselves and, and as they should. Like, that's our job, right, to make sure we're okay first. Um, I was going to say something else there, but it's totally gone. Um, but, yes, so, you know, worrying about what um, everybody else is thinking and saying is is just so much less than what, what they're thinking of you is so much less than what you think it is. And if it's not, like, maybe they're not your people. Yeah, it says more about them than it says about you. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's what I was going to say, Ian. When you said um, it's important in that space to be kind to yourself, I actually think that's we're pretty bad at that as humans. <laughs> well, we are. We, we all yeah. do it. We, we yeah. get something wrong and then waste time and energy yeah. about it. Yeah, and where we would be so kind and compassionate to someone else, we would be like, oh, you know, babe, don't worry about it. We, <laughs> we, it's harder to do that for yourself, right? Um, that reminds me of uh, Les Brown. I don't know if you listen to Les Brown at all, but but bit, early yeah, days, funny. yeah, early days, of my growth journey. I listened to him heaps, and he goes, he's like, sometimes you got to talk to yourself. Sometimes I got to say to myself, "Come on, Les, you can do this." And I remember laughing, <laughs> yeah. going, "Oh, that sounds a little bit." But but sometimes you do. Sometimes you so just got to go. Come on, mate. Like you. you oh, you, mate. Sometimes I do that just about every day now. Again, <laughs> like it's my kind of my 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 last thing going to bed, and my and my first thing waking is always like you know, well, what am I going to tell myself today, and and how am I going to be encouraging today? And even to the point now, this is like super open and vulnerable. You're welcome, everybody. Um, but you know, when I get in the um 
bathroom in the morning and I look at myself and I'm like, fuck, you're awesome. Like, I love you today, you know? Um, and that's really normal for me now. But it wasn't to begin with. I know what you're saying, like, what? That's so weird, right? But um, but if you don't, why would anybody else? <laughs> it's only weird to people who would feel uncomfortable saying that about themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And and I'm sure you would appreciate this coming from someone who hung out with boys and, and you yeah, had all, you know, all those sort of ways of living is that the more that you work on yourself, the more attractive you feel and the more attractive you become, right? And you're magnetic, exactly. And this is that, that whole process happened for me too, if I can bring it back to that. Going through my separation, I used to only work with women and I had this very strong, like, you know, women need this permission and this voice. And then as I went through that, all of that, I did so much learning about the male perspective of it. And now I just feel such a strong pull towards supporting men through this more because I think women, it's okay for us to say we're having this trouble or we're grieving or we're sad or we're emotional or, you know, we're doing the work, but I, I still see it. And I, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I still see it where it's still a little bit more resistant for men, um, you know, and, and, and really I see them again, the mother comes out in me. Like how do we need to mother that inner little boy so that he can actually emerge into the man that he needs to be? And I don't know where that's going to go, but that's where I'm playing. So Yeah, no, I agree. I, I've had a lot of female coaches and, and I really enjoyed yeah. it. I, I would I would say this for, for me, from my experience as the coach, is I have always had a really deep connection with my mum, that that empathetic side and and like yeah. I kind of feel like I can identify to that feminine side more than most oh, well. men and, and yeah, probably yeah. and probably for a long time i felt that as a real um a real negative but actually what it allows me That's to do is work with yeah. so many men who have that same thing because if you yeah. think about if you think about what we talked about two generations back mums who had that more, yeah, yeah stepped into the masculine but they had this both they had this ability to yeah. do both and uh disconnected um fathers because they'd come back from these horrific moments it's yeah. like i feel like there's a lot of that sort of going out there so having a female coach for a male i think's like like i said my, my yeah. two coaches at the moment are both female and and i yeah, love yeah. having that different perspective but that's not to say that i don't really know that there is a need to have that male perspective as well someone that you can just get together with and, and like you described at the pub having someone you can have that conversation yeah. where you're just calling it straight out as it is without fear of upsetting anyone or that, yes. that pure male perspective. Um, not Yes, or without having to watch your words, you know, like so the way that you might language something another man might understand automatically. Same as when women get together and we go, see, you get it. He doesn't get it. No, of course he fucking doesn't because he's a man. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? We often do have different unconscious um, awarenesses and, and languages between us, don't we? But to speak, yeah, you know, yeah. across yeah, polarity. So, yeah, definitely. I think what you're saying there too, Ian, about having more men in the space who can identify with that, that, that mother, that feminine connection, like knowing that that's actually within each individual human, that's not man or woman, that's human. Um, yeah. But like you said, men have been suppressed in it. Um, and where I think women have been, um, again, like when you say like I used to hold shame around the feminine, I used to hold shame around being too masculine, you know, but actually my masculine is what gets all the shit done, like, that part's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. just can't stay there, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and whereas, yeah. you know, like uh, that can be the, on the flip side for me, that sometimes there's a, yeah. a struggle for me to get into that drive and that getting stuff done. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Again, it continues to take work, but again, it, 
the more I work on it, the more I'm able to help other people with it. And I imagine it's the same for you, right? For oh, the, more, the more you're working in that space around the that the masculine side, be okay with it, but stepping more into that feminine, like what a gift to give all the women that you serve as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing too, I think like when, I mean, my initial, I had a lot of resistance to being titled a coach and being called, especially a life coach early on. I was like, oh my God, please don't put me in that basket. You know what I mean? I had a lot of judgment. Um, But sometimes I think that there's a element around coaching that is just make people feel good. And I think that's where the masculine feminine balance comes in. That beautiful nurturing feminine, come here, you're safe and I've got you and I expect this level of behaviour from you. That's yeah. the masculine coming in, like holding people to that higher standard. So I think, yeah, that real, like you said, the more we can work on our combination of where that's needed and that balance is because it can't just be one or the other black and white. Here's the tick box. Here's when to be masculine. Here's when to be feminine. You know, you've really got to guide your way through that. 100%. Well said. <laughs> you, your main uh, tagline, I guess, is uh, warrior to warrior. Mm. Tell me a little bit about like why that is something you're so passionate about. Yeah, good question. Um, so that sort of came the other way around. So after I'd had the kids and been through the depression and stuff and I was going to write a book called Warrior, like W-A, to Warrior, which is like the how I was so strong in my uh, military career into not knowing what the fuck I'm doing as a parent, you know. So uh, yeah. And then, yeah, I was in a sort of business coaching group and someone just questioned me a little bit like, are you sure? Like, that's a good idea. So I put it on the back burner because I was still in that space of others know more than me, you know? And yeah. then I worked with a coach who on messaging, like what's your message? I went into corporate leadership and, you know, the stuff that I can do. <laughs> um, and she, we worked on the messaging and I said, oh, I really like this warrior to warrior. And you're, you're going to totally get this in. I was having a moment of, um, you know, uh, I guess, I don't want to say trauma, but I was in a lot of pain and I was sitting in my backyard and it intuitively came through me. Like the five points, the five, here's what we do, the five um, principles of what it is to be a warrior. And it was warrior to warrior. And then it was another coach who caught, I put it on Instagram, the five points. And she was like, what the fuck is this? This is something, you know? So again, those reflections from the outside world that you're kind of onto something. And still I was like, this is a dumb tagline. This is such a stupid message. No one's going to get it. And my coach was like, go do the research on this. Um, And it's so funny the amount of times that I say to people, how did you find me? And they say, I liked the tagline. I'm like, stop playing jokes with me, universe. (laughs) You're an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. So... And so I pull it in, like I said, career-wise. When I joined the army, I was just a people-pleasing little girl. I didn't know I had any leadership qualities. And within that first year, like people who saw me from year one to year three were like, what in the heck happened to you? You're, wow, you've grown up. And I was I was raised a lot in the army. And then as parents, you know, as a mum, I went back to worry, not knowing what I'm doing, anxiety, and how to build up my strength there. And then I decided to be a business owner. And who the hell am I to be a business owner? You know what I mean? So, again, yeah. out of my comfort zone, worry. And then the most recent one, going through divorce. Like, again, I have to employ my own techniques. And I always say I try and, you know, from a marketing perspective, I try and, like, freshen it up. And I will make a new program. I'm like, I'm sorry, this program works. It has been tried and tested on myself and so many people. Like, I'm just going to have to get good with the fact that this is repetitious because it's solid. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
we're gonna have to compare notes after. I've got I've got an old meditation training that I called Warrior to Warrior. Uh, oh, I can't you? remember why I came up with that name, nice. but uh, yeah, yeah, well, it yeah. Makes so much sense, I, I think, I, doesn't I, it? So I sort of say from perfectionism, overthinking, and self doubt into certainty, courage, and confidence. That's what people can connect with. So the language warrior to warrior. So not everyone likes, to, especially strong people. I find my, my clients yeah. always, you know, they can handle anything, so they don't want to self-identify as a warrior. Neither did yeah. I. Yeah. which is why I call it that, um, yeah. challenge them, you know. But it's like, yeah, I think it's not an uncommon journey. It's like sadness to success or whatever, but it's just my language and it works really well with the military history. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Actually, I think I just realised when I said it where, where that came from. The the, the uh, banner was purple and very uh, Life coaching. And, and yes. <laughs> not even life coaching. Was that is that um, – that uh, world we talked, the sitting on the hill. I was sitting on the hill meditating. The woo-woo, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was that when, you, when you research it, it's, when I first researched it, and this is what sort of was a bit of, provided a bit of resistance for me, was it was either the sitting on the hill people, the real woo-woo people, or it was very religious. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, are they the only people doing it? And, of course, you know, the human mind is like, well, I can't do it then. And that, that was the exact reason I should do it because my message is so different. You know, yeah, like yeah. you said, people really... People come to me because they get it. They understand that work needs to be done, but they don't want to do the woo-woo. Um, and so they come in because they think I'm big and tough and can do it. And then I go, right, now we're going to do some woo-woo. <laughs> yeah. Exactly the same. And so for the ones who are yeah. really keen, that's why I do. I leave most of my woo-woo stuff here on the podcast. Um, but yeah. you want to get stuff done. And yeah, it's like, yeah, but if you can use woo-woo to get more stuff done and be yeah. even more efficient and perform yeah. even better, then let's yeah. go. Let's do yes. it. I always say that. I go, just trust me. It sounds really crazy and weird. Just trust me and answer the questions as I come up and you don't need to know what's happening, but let's crack on, right? Yeah, <laughs> love it, yeah. love it. Um, what, what's a message that you'd love to leave with people through all of these different challenges that you've come through? What's the sort of overriding message you'd love to leave people with, Nikki? Oh, the thing that's coming up for me when you ask that question is is please look into what it is to be kinder to yourself. That would be the number one message. Please look into that, like, self-compassion. Um, what does being kind to yourself look and feel like? And if you have no idea what the answer to that question is, then ask some questions outside of yourself. Love it. Yeah. And where can people find more of you, Nikki? Yeah, so I um, recently, I only just recently changed my name back to my maiden name. So if you type in the code phrase warrior to warrior, you'll find me. I might be under Nikki Thomas or I might be under Nikki Beanbleat, but it's um, it's always Nikki, Nikki Beanbleat warrior to warrior. So Instagram, Facebook, yeah, just Google it. <laughs> and we'll get the links in the show notes as well so people can find you yeah, there. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful, awesome. beautiful. Uh, thank yeah. you so much for coming on, Nikki. I really enjoyed this chat. Uh feel like we're on the same page with so much stuff so that made it uh, yeah yeah me too Ian yeah thank you so much for having me it was really nice and it was a really nice self-reflection process to go through all of that again actually so thank you for that you're welcome I hope you enjoyed this episode of the grief code podcast thank you so much for listening please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too if you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief let's chat email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. 
And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.